Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we uh, do get started... Uh, I want to uh, let you know this program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners, and you may support the show at support.greatdetectives.net. And uh, also, I want to, before we play Johnny Dollar, let you know that we will be coming up after the show with an episode of Dr. Tim. But here now is The Shepherd Matter, Part 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Operator, Mr. Dollar, will you cut off? I, uh... Tell him to let any more calls in here. Come on! I was cut off, but I'd rather get some sleep now. Anybody phones, just take a message. All right, Mr. Dollar. Over there. Sit down. Put your hands on your knees. Now, just so as you and I understand each other. You make one move. Wiggle a finger, I'll empty this gun right in your stomach. You understand me? I understand you, Forbes. You're crazy. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Richard Porter, 480 Webster Boulevard, Providence, Rhode Island. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Shepherd matter. I was pretty sick of it and with it when I had Paul Forbes visit me in my hotel room about 7 o'clock in the morning. He'd used a gun in front of me once before to crack my skull. I decided I'd try to avoid that again. So I sat down and I played good. It didn't seem to please him a bit. You were out to my house about an hour ago, weren't you? Yeah, I went out to talk to your wife. Yeah, I saw you. I was across the street watching. I followed you here. Fixing up another deal, huh? I don't know what you're talking about, Forbes. I followed you here so we could have a little talk. And we're going to have it, you and I. You ought to put that gun away and let them take you, Forbes. Where do you live? In Hartford, Connecticut. I mean, where do you live in town here in Providence? I don't. I live in Hartford. Where do you practice? Practice what? Are you trying to get funny with me? I don't practice anything here in Providence. I don't live here. I'm just here for a few days. Doing what? Working on an insurance matter. Insurance matter? You're licensed to practice law in Rhode Island? Oh, you've got something all wrong, Forbes. I don't practice law. I'm not a lawyer. I'm an insurance investigator. I tried to tell you that yesterday morning when you cracked me with that gun. I was called in by Dr. Shepard. He said you threatened his life. You're lying to me. 
Shepard called me yesterday morning, said a lawyer named Dollar was on his way over to talk to me about getting Pauline a divorce. You're a lawyer! I'm what I say I am. If you hadn't started swinging that gun butt around, I'd have told you why I was there yesterday. You got a billfold or something? My coat pocket inside on the back of that chair there. I think I know why Shepard called you and told you I was a lawyer. I think he wanted you to attack me and make me Shut a... Shut up! You and Shepard are trying to pull something to take my wife away from me. I know that much. And now you're trying to pull something to get out of this jam. You're wrong, Forbes. I don't know anything about trying to take your wife away from you. You know I didn't kill Shepard. How do I know you didn't kill him? You threatened him. Half a dozen people have attested to that. I know you had a reason to kill him. I know every time I've seen you, you've had a gun in your hands and you've been swinging it at somebody, particularly me. You know who did it. You're in on it somewhere. You know who killed Shepard and you're going to clear me. You're going to tell me, Dollar. I'm going to whip it out of you. You're going to crazy. All right. Get on your feet. He sat in the chair just the way I propped him there. His eyes looked dull and lifeless, as though he were already dead. I couldn't think of anything brilliant to say or do, so I rummaged around my suitcase and pulled out a bottle. Then I found a pair of glasses in the bathroom and poured a couple of drinks. When I came on out, he hadn't moved from the chair. He looked crumpled like a worn-out suit of clothes. He made no effort to look at me when I tucked the glass in his hand. Here, try this. Go on, go on, drink it. Why don't you call the police? Now you say you followed me here to have a talk and find out what's what. Now's the time to talk, pal. This thing isn't the best conversation piece in the world. Leave me alone. Call him in. You have something going for you here. This gun hasn't been fired. Do you have another one? No. No, Dollar, I didn't kill Dr. Shepard. I wanted to more than anything in the world. But I didn't kill him. Now look, I want some facts. So let's start with last night. Where were you when Shepard was shot? How do I know where I was? I I don't even know what time he was shot. All right, let's start with yesterday morning. You slugged me, ran out of the house, jumped in the car, and what happened? Go on, take it from there. I drove over to Dr. Shepard's office. I was going to have it out with him. He was breaking up my home. Well, go on. Did you see him? No. I parked down the street from his office... And then I saw him jump in his car, and I followed him. He came back over here. I knew my wife must have called him to take care of you. What happened then? I went over to the park and sat and tried to figure things out. You don't know what I've been through this past year. All right, go on, go on. Then I went to a bar. I was hungry. I hadn't eaten all day. I got a couple of sandwiches, and then I had some drinks. I don't know how many... Anyhow, the, the more I drank, the more hopeless everything looked. Did you call Shepard? Yeah. Yeah, I, I called him from the bar. Any idea what time it was? Must have been around five or six. What difference does it all make? I'm cooked and you know it. Go on, will you? You call Shepard. Then what did you do? I told him I wanted to talk to him about everything that had happened. I told him where to meet me. You mean you wanted Dr. Shepard to come down and meet you so you could kill him? Maybe I did have that in my mind. I don't know. On the phone, 
He sounded so calm and said we could talk it out and straighten it out like gentlemen. Did you talk to him? No. I didn't see him at all. I waited an hour and he never showed up. I called his office back and the answering service said everyone had gone out for the day and I, I didn't know what to do. I got back in my car and turned on the radio and that's where I heard I was wanted for murder. Dollar, I didn't do it. I swear I didn't. I had reason enough, but I didn't. I knew all about the others, but this was wait serious. Minute, wait a minute. What others? Pauline's always had other friends. <laughs> friends. I, I guess... I don't, know, I, don't, I don't guess I love her anymore. I don't know. I don't think she ever loved me. But I needed her. I needed her more than anything this last year or so. And at times I, I did love her the way it once was. And I found out what was going on between her and Shepard. She wanted a divorce. I wouldn't give her a divorce. If I had let her and Shepard get away with it, it would have been too much to take. Oh, this doesn't make sense. Even though you didn't love her and she didn't love you, you wouldn't stand still for a divorce action? It sounds stupid. I just told you. I needed her so much this last year or so. So much. Still doesn't make any sense, Forbes. Why didn't you let her go? She knew she didn't have to divorce me. She knew it wouldn't be too long. What? Shepard gave me a year. Another doctor in Baltimore, 18 months. Leukemia. Don't you see? She would have been free. They could have waited until I was dead at least. Just that, until I was dead. Couldn't they? Well, couldn't they? Expense account item 10, $2, sleeping pills. I fed them to him along with a cup of hot chocolate. He looked pretty worn out, and within 15 minutes, he was sound asleep in my bed. Item 11, $4.16, one long-distance phone call to a Baltimore clinic where I spoke with a Dr. Franz Mueller. Dr. Mueller confirmed what Forbes had said. Forbes was doomed with an incurable ailment. Item 12, $0.20, another phone call, this one from the hotel lobby to the coroner's office. I learned that Shepard had been killed by 32 caliber slugs. Forbes' gun, a 32, had not been fired or hastily cleaned. His story was checking out. That left just one small item to be cleared up. Expense account item 13, $4. Taxi fare from my hotel back to the Oakdale home. Special rates for nurses. Hello. I thought you'd be back to see me. Somehow I'm glad it's you, Mr. Dollar. Go ahead. That's an old story. Terribly old and corny. I applied for a job as Dr. Shepard's nurse five years ago, and I fell in love with him that very day. I've loved him every day from that time on. Five years. Go on. I don't know when it was when he started up with Mrs. Forbes. I knew she was trying to get a divorce. I knew Mr. Forbes wouldn't stand for it. Then one day... Last week, I guess it was. I heard Doctor talking to her on the phone. He said, there's a way to get rid of him. I knew he was talking about getting rid of Mr. Forbes. Did they discuss the part about Shepard getting Forbes to threaten his life in front of witnesses so he could shoot him down when the time came? No, I didn't know that until yesterday morning. So long ago, it seems. 
You came to see Doctor, and then you left. I overheard him on the phone again. He called up Mr. Forbes and said Mr. Dollar was coming over to talk about the divorce action. And he knew Forbes would be upset enough to attack me. Doctor was very good about anticipating what people would do in given situations. <laughs> Even me. I was in the office when Mr. Forbes called last night. I saw a doctor put the gun in his coat. I knew he was going down to meet Mr. Forbes and shoot him, so I followed him. He was walking around in the dark looking for Mr. Forbes with a gun in his hand. I ran up to him and pleaded with him not to be crazy, that Mrs. Forbes wasn't worth it. Then he said he was going to kill me, too. We struggled. The gun went off. I don't know how many times. I can help you, Corinne. You didn't mean to kill him. He meant to shoot you. When all these other details come out, the most they can charge you with is second-degree justifiable or manslaughter. No. You're nice. But I can't get off. Huh? I guess the police haven't found her yet. I went over and killed Mrs. Forbes an hour ago. Expense account item 14, same as item 1. Transportation back to Hartford. The next time you have a doubtful insurance application, Mr. Porter, settle it yourself or call someone else. Don't call me. As far as I can add up, and I'm not going to recheck the figures, expense account total is $485. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week, the case of a lonely heart that found plenty of company in the nearest morgue. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Gene Bates, Virginia Gregg, Russell Thorson, Parley Bear, Herb Ellis, Barney Phillips, and Lawrence Dobkin. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station. For another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
welcome back. Well, this was one of those episodes that turned everything we thought uh, on its head. Uh, I think throughout the show that um, really Forbes looked like uh, a bad guy. And uh, then uh, we, uh, you know, we get to the end and you just feel bad for the guy. You know, just a horrible way that things went. Um, and this episode, by the way, was uh, one of the early uh, uh, John Lunn episodes. This uh, was based on the Shepherd uh, matter, which was originally broadcast December 5th, 1952, uh, which explains in part the extremely downbeat ending. Uh, this was one story where you get to the end and uh, it looks like that uh, there will be, uh, if there'll be a situation where the nurse will be able to walk and start over again, but then it comes out that she just went and, uh, in effort to get vengeance, killed Mrs. Forbes. I don't know uh, why Johnny blames the uh, insurance agent for this. He's the one who came in and uh, investigated and actually stayed uh, on it after the insurance angle was pretty much over once uh, Dr. Shepard died back in Part 3. So that just tends to be, I guess, one of the more uh, emotional aspects of these uh, expense accounts. All right, well, now we move on to listener comments and feedback and uh, uh, have a comment. Episode 1071, Rebecca says, very interesting. And of episode 1073, Pastor Lisa said, enjoy the podcast. I love Johnny Dollar. Well, thanks so much. Um, now, uh, we're going to turn to another program. It's time for Dr. Tim Detective. And we had a couple of lost episodes. I don't know the titles, but the program we played last week was episode six. Uh, this week's program is episode nine. So he, here's, uh, the mystery of the chest of dynamite. This is Dr. Tim Detective to bring you by transcription, the mystery of the chest of dynamite. You couldn't have asked for anything nicer than the way that day started out. Sandy and Jill, their special pals of mine, had insisted that this was the day for the hike. Four miles over the mountain and back again. I tried to protect my aging bones by protesting, but it was no use. I was outvoted. Gee, gosh, Dr. Tim, we've already explored everything around the cabin. Well, sure, what's a vacation in the mountains for if you're just going to sit around and be lazy? Besides, it isn't healthy. Everybody needs exercise. All right, all right. But as a doctor, I resent having my own advice flung in my teeth. I merely said that a certain amount of mild exercise was good for the Constitution. That's just it. The hike over the mountain will be just exactly that certain amount and no more. Oh, my aching back tomorrow. Oh, come on. All right, all right. Jill, you fix up a lunch. You bet I will. And Sandy, be sure the car windows are rolled up in case of rain. Okay. You better lock it while you're at it. Never can tell who might come crawling around, even this far off the beaten track. Check. And that's how I got myself mixed up in what I like to call the mystery of the chest of dynamite. Because if we hadn't started off on that hike, (laughs) I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, among the unusual features of the mystery, perhaps the chief one was that I got mad. Good and mad. More angry, in fact, than I had in all the years I'd gone through life as a combination of doctor and detective. 
Because the chief thing that makes me mad is criminal carelessness and stupidity. Well, anyway, we headed for the mountains. Stop and rest at all. Exercise, my dear Jill, is excellent for the human constitution. You said so. Why should we pamper these soft bodies with restful ease when vigorous and health-giving stimulation lies right upon our path? Boy, the next time I open my big mouth. Of course, if I weren't about to give out myself. Ah, relief is inside. I'd walk till you dropped. I'm dropping already. However, unless my eyes deceive me, that looks like a farmhouse to the left, about a thousand yards away. Oh, boy. Milk. Gallons of it. Yeah. No, no, no. No milk, unless it's pasteurized, kids. We'll have to stick to canned milk until we get back to town. I was thinking of a nice haystack to stretch out on, with the owner's permission, of course. A picnic lunch in the past. Hey, somebody's waving at us. Hmm? Well, Why, theme? He's running from the house, and Mother thing is to come over. I still do oh, oh, yeah, I do. I wonder what's the matter. See, somebody must be in trouble. Well, get your second wind and follow me. Maybe somebody's been injured. Come on, hurry up. In just a few moments, we were getting the story from the old man. He must have been near 70. And so when I see you, I was hoping it might be some of the neighbors that could go for some help. Or just my doggone luck to have it turn out to be some city folks. Say, uh, who's supposed to be tonight a horse? Well, I can. Sure, me too. Now, just a minute, everybody. This what's the matter. Matter? Well, matter enough. Why, well, I'm up here all by myself. Too darn lame to get on horseback. This darn I told that darn wife of mine, and, and that poor daughter, too, that it just weren't right of taking the only automobile on the place and going up trading off there to the city. For a week, mind you. Why, well, they ain't even due back or day after tomorrow. If you ask me, that's going to be too late. Yes, sir, too late. And then they'll blame me. Now, look, blame you for what? Is something wrong? Wrong? Why, everything's been wrong since my daughter's husband got killed in that there war. Why, this ain't no place for a little kid, this ain't. And I said so more than a thousand times. Please, is somebody hurt? I'm a hurt? Why, there ain't nothing here to hurt nobody. Why, it just came down to the sore throat as first he did. Nobody can blame me for that. If Miss Moore hadn't gone up straight to the Dr. Kim, I think he means there's a sick kid in that house. Why, of course there is. Ain't I been telling you why? Well, good gosh, why didn't you say what was the matter? Why didn't you realize I didn't wait to hear more, but left Sandy and Jill explaining to the old man as I dashed inside the house and found the bedroom. Sick kid was an understatement. I didn't know what was the matter, but as I stooped down over the bed and got a look at the child, about five years old, I'd guess, I knew one thing. The fight was now with death. Well, I'd been in some tight situations, but never one like this. My car, and of course my medical bag was in it, was several miles over the mountain. The nearest phone was 14 miles away. A child was dying. And for help, I had two kids and a doddering, half-scared-to-death old man. Silently, I worked over the child, trying to ease the breathing, going over in my mind the things that might be wrong, summoning all the knowledge of my lifetime, trying to think what treatment I could give. In a few moments, the old man entered. You're kind of sick, ain't you? Very sick. First off, it seems to be some kind of... 
poisoning. When did he eat last? Well, let me see now. Oh, must have been four or five days, reckon. He ain't wanted nothing since. Uh-huh. What did he eat? Oh, he ain't ate nothing, and I ain't ate myself. Not been fine. Except in this darn rheumatism. Seems like every year the darn rheumatism... How did rheumatism... it start? You mean the rheumatism. Well, that I just... child. Mm-hmm. Sore throat, cold, fever? Well, he did sort of complain about feeling hot and chilly and, and said his high throat was hurting. I went over a rapid list in my mind. Diphtheria. None of the signs. Scarlet fever. Same. But something toxic, something poison was working in that child's body. And unless I could find out, the end was a matter of hours. The pulse was rapid, pretty, the breathing difficult, and the temperature, even without a thermometer, I knew it was dangerously high. Suddenly I had a thought. I turned to the old man. You drive a car? Me? Nope. Never been behind the wheel one whole uh... I can, Dr. Tim. I know I'm not old enough to have a license, but my dad's been teaching me. Where that car has to be driven, you won't need a license, Sandy. I've got to have that medical bag, and I've got to have the car here in case I decide we dare move the child and get into a hospital. And I can't leave. It'd be as bad as murder. You think you could get the car here over that trail we came in on the other day? Well, I think so. I ought to be shot for letting you try. And I'm afraid it means a life. Here are my keys. Catch. Now run. Run over the mountain as you've never run before. An hour passed. The child was resting more easily. Jill and I took turns wiping his face and trying to make him more comfortable. With straining ears, I listened for the car. Would Sandy make it? Well, it was too soon to tell yet. Lost in thought, it wasn't until Jill repeated what she was saying to me that it sank into my consciousness. Dr. Tim, the old man says he doesn't want to bother you, but maybe it's time to give Jimmy some more of his medicine. Jimmy. Strange. I never thought of the child as having a name. And then suddenly... What? What was that you said? His medicine. The old man's been rambling on about it since we came. With one bound, I was at the door of the bedroom calling the old man. In a moment, he appeared. Yes, sir, a fine kind of doctor not to give them folks something they can take. Why, that poor little kid in there... You've been giving this child medicine? Well, of course I have. Real drugstore medicine, too. The doc down there, Seven Mile, he fixed it up for me when I had a sore throat last winter. Same as kid Jimmy here, Doc. Quick, let me have that bottle. Yes, sir, I got right here the medicine cabinet. As I turned my head once again to listen to the sound of a motor car, an idea was beginning to shape itself in my mind. If that medicine was what I thought it might be, I snatched the bottle from the old man's hand as he came inside the door. Dr. Tim, what's the matter? Sulfur. You've been giving this child an adult dose of sulfur for five days. Yeah, give it to him just like it says here on the bottle. But, Dr. Tim, I thought the sulfur drugs were good for sore throats and all kinds of infections. Yes, like rat poison is good for a rat. You mean I oughtn't have done it? Sit down and listen. Listen carefully before you murder someone else. More people have been killed by taking the wrong drugs than are killed in any war. But the doc told me... Yes, he told you to take it, not that child. It was your prescription for your illness. You were safe taking it. It wasn't meant for Jimmy. Do you know what's happened to that child? Oh, what, Dr. Kim? He's dying of uremic poisoning. That sulfur drug, too big a dose, has formed crystals in his kidneys. Has plugged them up until they can't work for Jimmy anymore. All the poisons, the waste matter from the kidneys have been killing him for days. Oh, gee, well, Doc, I didn't mean to do it. Of course you didn't mean to hurt him. But you've tied the safety valve down on the boiler. 
Oh, I'd like to take the contents of half the medicine chests of this country and dig a pit and bury them. Evaporated iodine, left for goodness knows how long, to burn and scar an innocent victim. Poisons taken in the belief they're antiseptics. Sleeping pills that kids get hold of and kill themselves. Ammonia, lye, cleaning fluid, right in the medicine chest for folks to drink some night. Medicine chests. They're chests of dynamite, that's what. And you... you... No. What's the use? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to lose my temper. Okay, Jimmy. Fly still now. You'll be better soon. The next half hour was broken only by the softly spoken conversation between Jill and myself as we sped our thoughts to Sandy in the car. A rough job for a kid with no experience in driving. Dr. Tim, can you do something? I mean, when your medical bag gets here. Mm, I hope so, Jill. It all depends upon what I did the other day when I left my laboratory. Well, what? I mean, how does that happen? Well, I had a supply of spinal anesthetic. You know, the stuff you use for operations when you don't want to give ether. You inject it into the spine. Uh-huh, I know. I think I put it in my bag. I'm praying that I did. Will spinal anesthetic help? Uh, it will probably save Jimmy's life. You see, Jill, in the last war, a lot of soldiers took an overdose of sulfur. They didn't know they were supposed to drink lots of water and take baking soda with it. And at first, the army doctors thought the only way to save their lives was to operate upon the kidneys. You mean there was another way? Oh, sure. The doctors discovered by accident that when they gave the spinal anesthetic to get the soldier ready for the operation, the anesthetic itself often seemed to start the kidneys to working again without the operation. Golly, then if you do have some in your bag... Yes, even at that, it's dangerous business, Jill. To inject that anesthetic is dangerous in itself. It really should be done in the hospital. But driving 40 miles over these roads would mean sure death for Jimmy. Listen! Oh, Lord. It has to be. Run! Run, Jill! Quick! Well, Sandy was the hero of the day, all right. Although I wake up nights sometimes in horror at the thought of his wrestling that car over the trail to the ranch. Lux had been with me. That medicine was in my bag. A couple of times we thought we'd lose Jimmy, but he did pull through. But the funny thing was the way my getting sore acted on the old farmer. As soon as Jimmy pulled over the hump, he had a celebration. I was napping peacefully on the couch when... Oh. Okay, Doc, I done it. I tore that medicine chest plumb out of there. Ain't gonna have no more dynamite around here. No siree, bub. <laughs> well, I chuckled to myself. You're never too old to learn. This is Dr. Tim Detective saying so long until next week at this same time when Sandy, Jill, and I will bring you the exciting transcribed mystery of The Poisoner at Large.
Welcome back. Well, the show continues to do a good job of uh, public health uh, education, and I think uh, Dr. Tim definitely justifiably uh, upset about the uh, situation. And uh, overall, though, a, a pretty solid story making the point about the importance of only using prescription medication that's uh, actually prescribed to you with just a touch of humor to lighten up at the end. So nicely done. I should mention that Dr. Tim, the doctor, will be out next week. Uh, we have another Lost Episode serial of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Uh, so we'll have a special on Wednesday, and then we will have uh, the final two parts we have of The Lonely Hearts Matter on uh, Friday. So Dr. Tim will return in two weeks comment on uh, from now we turn to iTunes comment from Tiger Bay 65 who says actually regarding the yours truly Johnny Dollar podcast I only wish I could see the full name of the episode before I play it uh, well thanks so much for the comment Tiger and uh, I wish there was a way we could do that but with the series length being what it is and um, uh, in addition to that the uh, have the title of the series, the title of episode, and on these a part number. I suppose we could always try and abbreviate yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in the title, but that might make it harder for new listeners to find us. So, sorry, there's not a really good answer to this uh, question. Uh, now we turn to uh, a question about Jack Webb, who will be coming uh, back here in uh, a few months as Pete Kelly in Pete Kelly's Blues, and then, uh, or not Pete Kelly's Blues, but Pat Novak for Hire, and then in uh, Dragnet. Uh, listener uh, emails, uh, I've fallen in love with Jack Webb. That voice was amazing. I have a question for you. The expert in every movie and TV show I've seen, uh, Jack in from the late 1940s on, he's wore a bracelet on his right wrist. Uh, what's the story with the bracelet? It's killing me. Well, uh, Karen, in answer to your question, uh, the story of the bracelet is that it's just a simple chain uh, bracelet. It does look in some uh, shots, um, w when you, you see it on uh, television, like it might be something else. But uh, looking at it still, it's, it's just a simple gold chain bracelet. Now, as to why he wears it, uh, I don't know. It's just because uh, something that he liked to wear. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not w aware of any additional information other than it's just a gold chain bracelet. All right. Well, that will finish us up for today. We'll be back uh, tomorrow with the lineup. Join us on Monday as we start a new Johnny Dollar story. And in two weeks, uh, join us for Dr. Tim. Send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.